Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. What's Wagner's rule of life number four? Nothing good happens outside a strip club at 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm sorry, I understand I might be like a dog with a bone on this, but this is just fundamentally wrong. It is an insult, but let's tee this up. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 414-799-1620. I'm sorry, I think this is absolutely... Absolutely ridiculous. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Thank you for joining us on a really, truly icky day. <laughs> that's a that's one of those technical terms, Eric Bilstadt, that you get in your third year of law school. It's just an icky day. Yeah, you know? I'll go and with it. Um, and, and I'm looking at, I, see, I, I'm trying, I'm working real hard to kind of be like the glasses half full guy. I, I'm looking at the 10-day forecast, and yeah, other than the fact that you're leaving town, you know, <laughs> yeah. next week, it, it's it's tough. I mean, yeah, you know, today is is miserable. The next couple days, well, okay, maybe dry, but temperatures in the 30s and maybe into the 40s. Sunday, they're expecting uh, again a high of 39 degrees and snow and wind. And next Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday, mm-hmm. the forecast is yeah. for rain. So if um, uh, if anybody's thinking that, oh, gee, this is going to be over and we're going to have bright sunshine and we're going to be out working in our gardens and playing golf and going on bike rides or stuff, not uh, for a while. No. Not no. for a while. Yeah. And again, we'll continue to keep you posted on all the weather things that are going on. It, it appears at least temporarily that southeastern Wisconsin missed the brunt of this. Um, you, but you look you look to our north and and it's you know tons of snow and freezing rain and ice and heavy wind it's just an absolute and total mess and the forecast of course calls for us to get rain later on today so bottom line is kind of batten down the hatches and be careful last night i, I it was just amazing because I, I got home after work and we were going we were going to meet some people at five o'clock thankfully relatively close to our house and it was, I mean, it was snowing, and I mean snowing heavily, you know, where I live, around 5 o'clock. And it's it quickly, I mean, the roads got even a little bit treacherous and stuff. So bottom line, if you're out and about, be careful. We have a lot of ground to cover. Today is an eclectic program on a crummy weather-wise Thursday afternoon. Let's get started. I was just mentioning to Steve Scafidi, this is, if you want to think about spring, the first major golf tournament of the year starts today. It is the Mass set in Augusta, Georgia. The the Masters is unlike every other major golf tournament and unlike many, many sporting events um, in that the, the people that run the Masters have very, very tight controls over things and, and they set the rules. They set limits on television coverage. You know, the, there's, if you try to tune in and watch the Masters right now, you can't. They, they they limit it. It's not like the U.S. Open or the PGA or the British Open where the TV coverage starts at 6 o'clock in the morning. Nope. The Masters people say, we don't want to be overexposed. The coverage, I think it starts like at 2.30 if you want to watch it on television. And and that's, that's it, 2.30 to 5.30. Same thing is true tomorrow. They have all sorts of rules that are in place. And because the Masters is so desirable to attend, they're able to to get away with these different situations. So here's one of the rules that they have. If you are fortunate enough to get a pass to allow you to go watch the Masters in Augusta, that is no cell phone use at all on the course. No taking your cell phone out to take pictures. 
no taking your cell phone out to take to check texts and no using your cell phone as a cell phone and they are very very strict about that and if you are caught using a cell phone you're going to get ejected and no ifs no ands no buts Interestingly enough, on the course, and I've never been to Augusta, but I'm told they have several large banks of pay phones. Remember the old pay phones? They have large banks of pay phones that are throughout the course that people can use for free. But you can't use cell phone. It's a tradition unlike any other. Our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What I find to be interesting about this is... Cell phones have become, what is the college reading word, ubiquitous. Everybody has cell phones. Everybody uses them. You cannot go into a a restaurant or a sporting event or anywhere else without seeing people on their cell phones. As a matter of fact, it's not unusual to walk into a restaurant, even a nicer restaurant, and you'll look over at a table, and maybe if it's a table of four people, three out of the four, maybe all four people have their cell phones out, and they're looking at things. In addition... When people speak on their cell phones, they tend to not use their inside voices. Maybe it's because when they're in public, you've got all that ambient noise that's out there, but they generally tend to speak louder. So as a result, if you're two tables over, even though you could care less about what the person's talking about, you can't avoid hearing it because they are talking loudly. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Should more places follow the lead of the masters, and ban the use of cell phones. Miller Park, no cell phones in the stands. Pfizer Forum, no cell phones in the stands. Your favorite restaurant, no cell phones at the tables. Would you support something like that? Do you think it would hurt business or help business? 414-799-1620. Is it time to say, all right, we don't let you smoke inside anymore, Maybe you shouldn't be allowed to use cell phones in certain places or only have designated areas for cell phones. Would you like that? 414-799-1620. I'll tell you where I come down on it, and we'll discuss in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. The Masters does not allow attendees to use cell phones if you're watching on the course. All right. Would that be something you would support at other venues, whether they're restaurants or ballparks or whatever. Marianne on the northwest side. Marianne, you're first. Hello. Hi. What do you think? Um, yeah, they should ban it because people have lost uh, the ta- or the ability to talk to other people. And it's very distractive when you're in all these different um, uh, sporting events and restaurants and hearing all these other people's <laughs> conversation in that. Uh, Most of which are are not that important. I mean, I it, I don't know about you, but when I, when I end up inadvertently overhearing other people's conversations, it's not oh you got to get home, our kids in the hospital. It's more like all right, what do you think you want to do next Tuesday night or something like that. They're conversations that could wait till you're finished with dinner. As a general rule, yeah, but they've lost. They should put it aside because people have lost it of communicating with each other. They've lost that. Yeah. Yep, 
Yep. Well, right. And you don't you don't talk anymore. No, th- thanks to caller. It, it is interesting that you hear these stories about people. And, and I know some people who've done this. The deal is when they go out to dinner, let's say you have a group of six or eight people. The deal is everybody pulls their cell phone out and, you know, they put it on the table. And then the first person who has to use it during the course of the dinner, well, they got to pick up the tab. It's, it's one of those, you know, <laughs> maybe it's a disincentive to do it. Now, I'll tell you, I was at dinner the other night at at a, at a private club, and the, the the club doesn't ban cell phones per se, but they discourage the use, like in the restaurant and bar. So if you get a call and you want and you choose to take the call, that that's fine. But they ask that you kind of like go out into the common area, which I think is, is a perfect compromise. I mean, nobody's telling you you can't have the cell phone, but at the same time, if you're sitting in the the dining room proper or whatever. Not everybody wants to hear your conversation. They simply say, fine, if this is call is so important that you got to take it, go with God, but go outside. I think there's a lot of people who might support the same thing if you did it, again, Pfizer Forum or Miller Park, designated areas if you want to um, be using cell phones. Jeff in Fox Point. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff. I'm against this for a lot of reasons, but I think my two biggest ones are that cell phones make it a lot easier to meet up with people in these crowded venues, and then a lot of these places um, have your tickets on your cell phone. Mm -hmm. So I think it would get really complicated if you walk in, have your ticket on your cell phone, and then the guy's like, oh, you got to put your phone away now. What about restaurants? Restaurants, um, I, I... I'm against it. The only place I can really think of that I that I would like this is, is like gyms where people are walking around the heavy equipment and you know, it gets a little dangerous to be on your cell phone. Okay, but so it doesn't bother you if you're out at a restaurant and, and you've got all these these collateral conversations that are going on, most of which probably really aren't that important. Not unless it's like in, in like invading my conversation, like I can't hear the person that I'm that I'm with talking, and usually it's not to that point. Okay, would you be less inclined to go to a restaurant that had a policy like that? Because I mean, it's restaurants can set whatever policies they want. So if the policy was. Um, we, we don't want you using cell phones in the dining room, and if you've got to take a call, we ask you to go out to the lobby or something like that. Would you be less inclined to go to a place like that? It depends on the restaurant. If it's a restaurant that I'm really, really into, like a certain burger place in the area, okay. I would do. I would. I would go there come hell or high water. But if it was like a new restaurant, I might be more. I might be less apt to try it if, if it were a new okay. restaurant. All right. Thanks to call four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. That's see. I mean, I guess that's the fundamental question because businesses have a right to set policies. The Masters has every right to say no cell phones on our course, and if you don't like it. Well, all right, then you know, let me have your tickets. 414-799-1620. Mike on the northwest side. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yeah, hey, good afternoon, Jeff. I I, uh, I think that the uh, cell phone ban is a great idea. Uh, if I want to go to lunch with people or dinner with people, I want to talk to them. I don't want them sitting on their cell phones. So uh cell ban is fine for me. And also, just an, uh, you know, cash only, you know, uh, that's fine, too. Yeah, well, I guess I, I mean I think thanks. For, I mean, I guess the, the thing is, it, it, to me, it's it's what kind of atmosphere are you trying to create for your your patrons? And, and maybe 
if you are running a okay if if you're running a a diner family restaurant where there's going to be all sorts of kids and there's this huge noise level okay maybe maybe it doesn't matter if you've got somebody that's deciding that they're going to have some silly conversation with you know somebody about again some meaningless type of of thing but it's just it's their habit oh the person's called okay maybe that's not going to affect the ambiance at the same time, you know, at the same time, I could easily see where there's lots of places that might say, hey, you know what, this is this is going to appeal. We're trying to create a certain type of environment, and we, we want people to, able to be able to hear each other. And we think it's a good thing for society that people actually go out and, heaven forbid, they talk to the people that they are with. Jeff in Pewaukee. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, how's it going? Real well, thank you. Okay, would you support bands like this? Do you think it's a good thing? Well, I think, you know, some regulation possibly. You know, um, I'm going to divert it more to a different scenario as going to, like, a concert. Mm -hmm. Um, Jack White of, you know, White Stripes fame. Uh, People that go to his concerts have to actually put their cell phone into a pouch, and it's locked. Yep. (laughs) You can keep it in your pocket. But if you want to use it, you have to actually exit, make your call or do whatever you have to do and come back in. He wants you to enjoy the show, you know, yeah. get immersed with the art, you know, and, and, and stop everyone filming with their phones out. You yeah. Know, maybe buy the Blu-ray or something when it comes out. Well, but, you know, it's you inter- know, it's interesting you mentioned, Jack. I was at a concert, a Jackson Brown concert at the Riverside maybe a year or two ago, and he they, they had asked... He, you know, they made an announcement beforehand. They'd asked the people not film it. That's what he he wanted. Yeah. And of course, first song, there's some lady that's standing up like in the fourth row, and she's she's filming it. And he stops the concert, and he asks her to stop, and she doesn't stop. You know, she stands there. She's filming him asking her not to film the thing. And of yeah. course, the whole thing gets delayed, and then and it actually kind of threw him off for a few minutes. And ultimately, the ushers have to come and they have to get involved. But it was like. Okay, in that case, the performer was, look, I want to perform. Sit sit and listen. Yeah. I find it distracting that you're not paying attention to me, that you're trying to film me. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's, you know, I guess for certain things like sporting events and that, you know, there there could be some, you know, different rules and stuff, but I just think, yeah. Right. You know, well, how about a restaurant? Let me ask you what I asked the last caller. Okay, so you're, you're in, there's a restaurant, and the, the rule is, all right, no cell phone use at the tables. If you want to use your cell phone, you want to take calls or whatever, you got to go up and you got to get go go out to the lobby or something like that. Would you support something like that? Um, yeah, to a degree, it depends on you know the type of dining that you're doing. Yeah. You know, if you're at some burger joint or something, whatever. Right. But if it's you know a, a higher scale. Yeah, I mean, put it on silence, stick it in your pocket, maybe you know. Yeah, and then, and then when it the and lobby. then when it rings, yeah, no, thanks, thanks. I mean, actually. That that's kind of what happened the other night when I was at this particular place. My wife got a phone call, and it was a phone call that it, it was legitimately important for her to take. So um, she just got up, took the phone, you know, went went outside of the the restaurant and the bar, and, and took the phone call, and came back. And a few minutes, a few minutes later, and interestingly enough, everybody in the restaurant and the bar didn't happen to know, you know, the what the call, call was about, which is probably just as well. Pat in Wauwatosa. Pat, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Um, I agree that cell phones are a big pain, and they do interrupt. And you can use common sense and be courteous to get up and leave if you do have an important phone call. Sure. 
If not, let it go to voicemail. There's nothing that important. And I'm a cashier, and I'll tell you, there's huh. nothing as irritating as people who oh. come up <laughs> and buy their groceries and are on their phones. I'll that is so I, rude. I, You know, I'm glad you called, Pat, because if I were in your job and somebody was doing that, it would drive me absolutely bat crap crazy that somebody was doing that you know and and, and it, i will tell you as as from my perspective it's just a customer if if i'm in a grocery store say you know and you're okay you're the cashier the, there's the person that's got all the items there i'm behind they're just waiting to check out and somebody is on their phone i want to it almost makes me prone to physical violence get off the phone get your groceries and get the heck out of my way Exactly. Yeah, they don't. A- they don't talk. They don't communicate. You can ask them a question. They have not a clue right. what you're saying. Many times they don't even know what the price of the bill is yeah. because they're so involved on their telephone. Right. Yeah. It, and and again, ninety eight percent of the time, it's a call that can wait until they get out into the parking lot. I mean, that's yeah. it. No. No. Thanks for calling. You know, it's interesting that she mentioned that. I, I hear that sometimes at, at fast food places too. You know, you, you people pull up, they're on their cell phones, they're having this conversation, and they're also like trying to order their, their food. It's like, all right, th- just tell the person that you're talking to, you'll be, you'll call them back, or you'll be with them in a minute and a half, make your order, pay for the thing, and then drive off. No, it is fundamentally rude. Um, again, I'm one of these people. Do, do I think you should have to surrender your phones? No. But if you didn't use them as much, that would be fine. And if you go to the Masters and you do use them, boom, you're going to get the bums rush. This is Jeff Wagner. As long as we're talking about cell phones, this is Jeff Wagner. Glad to have you with us. There is one other sort of feature, and and my wife, God bless her. Um, a lot of people don't text anymore. What they do is they just dictate, right? And then they send it off. And and there's a whole universe of people, including my lovely wife, who dictate and send it off without looking at what it says, which which always just provokes this. I have no I- idea. For example, earlier today, my wife had to we're we're, we're dog sitting our dog. We're dog sitting for my um, stepdaughter's dog while she's at work. And my, my wife had to go run an errand getting something done. The weather was kind of crummy. So I was just sending a note. And my question was, OK, did you get this done? Everything OK? Any problems with the roads, etc.? And the response I get back is, got it done, no problems on the roads, fine. Odds are in control, but have to sit here. Odds are in control, but have to sit here. I have absolutely no idea what that means. N- none at all. Odds are in control, have to sit. Uh, Jordan says, Rosa, no, no. It would, would it, I, so I sent a question mark back, and it was dogs. Like, dogs are under control. I'm... I'm in the living room. I, that's something like that. I, you know, so it's like, but it's, it, it's, and I'm sure I am not the only person that kind of deals with that. And it's like, well, I appreciate you getting right back to me, but I have no idea what this means. All right. If you grew up around this area and you are of a certain age, you know Northridge Mall. I was, I grew up in Glendale and I remember when Northridge Mall opened. Northridge Mall opened in the, what, the late seventies. Um, a successor to Southridge. You had Southridge that was built first. You had Northridge that was built second. Northridge was during the 70, late 70s and the 80s and the early part of the 90s. It was 
It was thriving. And around Northridge, you had thriving developments. You had Northridge Lakes, which was just to the um, east uh, of the Northridge Shopping Center. And you had um, all sorts of other condos that were around there. You had all sorts of, of uh, businesses that were thriving on the other side of Brown Deer Road. Northridge is like 76th and Brown Deer, and you had some in, that were thriving. Northridge is on the north side of Brown Deer Road. You had a businesses that were thriving on the south side of Brown Deer Road. It was a go-to spot. You had more restaurants than you could shake a stick at. You had movie theaters. I think at one time they had up to six or eight screens in the movie theater. I mean, it's just, it was the happening place to go. And then for a variety of reasons, Northridge started spiraling out of control. The concern among some people became that it was unsafe. Suburban women stopped going there. Suburban women stopped going there, and as a result, a lot of businesses started closing, and then you got into that vicious circle. All right, as more and more of these businesses close, well, all right, then fewer and fewer shoppers have a reason to go, and ultimately Northridge has been just an empty eyesore for going on 15, 16 years now. All right, so Northridge has been vacant. The Boston store property, which was one of the multiple anchors, and there, used, there was a Sears, there was a Boston store, there was a J.C. Penney's, and there was another anchor store that I am forgetting about right at the moment. But uh, the Boston store was taken over by uh, – that space was taken over by Penzi Spices, and they were going to use it as something and ultimately decided it made no sense. So they deeded it to the city of Milwaukee, and the city of Milwaukee has plans to demolish the Boston store property. Now, that's going to be you know quite an expensive undertaking, but all right, that's the idea. The rest of the mall proper is owned by this, this, this Chinese, this Asian outfit, and you might remember originally that the plan was that they were going to take the building and they were going to turn it into like an, an Asian oriented mall where you'd have where you'd have all sorts of like an like a trademark d- designed to for Asian type of of ideas and and, and merchandise that's that's never taken off it's gone absolutely nowhere and uh, the city has become increasingly more frustrated because it's very apparent that the the group that owns this mall wants nothing to do with this so you have this giant 900,000 square foot eyesore that is out there and of course is what happens when you don't maintain buildings, it's starting to fall into serious disrepair. They estimate that the cost of demolishing, I want to make sure that I've got it right, the cost to demolish uh, the, the building, the cost to repair the building would be like $6 million, okay? And the, the building itself, they say, is only worth like 80-some thousand dollars, et cetera, et cetera. So the city has started condemnation proceedings. Their idea is we want to, we want to force that this, this Chinese company that owns this, we, we want to force them to essentially get out of the way and let us tear down this building because 
at least as a retail operation like it used to exist, there, there's no future of this. And now you've got this dilapidated building and it's falling into disrepair, et cetera, et cetera. So they've started a foreclosure action uh, against this. And what they want is they, it's actually a condemnation order. We're going to condemn the building. We're going to tear it down. They argue that it's unsafe. Our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. As somebody who grew up in this area, it lit- it literally breaks my heart to see what has happened to that Northridge property over the years. And even though some people don't want to deal with this reality, the reality is as Northridge has declined, that area has declined dramatically. Now, some people would say the area started declining and that's what led to Northridge's failure. I don't know. That That's a chicken and the egg argument. But moving forward, here we are in 2019, that building's Essentially, Northridge has been closed since, what, 2003 or so. Buildings on the ring of Northridge have now pretty much gone away. There used to be a Toys R Us. That, that's gone. The buildings across the way from Northridge, there's a strip mall. That's pretty much empty. There's a couple things left. But, but it, it's, that, that whole area is absolutely dead. What do you do with Northridge? 414-799-1620. I've got a couple ideas. What do you think should happen? Is it dead for retail? Is it possible that you can have light industrial? Is that area just history? And I guess the question really becomes, should the city of Milwaukee, given all the other needs and given all the other places they're trying to throw limited taxpayer money, you know, is it is it worth fooling around with Northridge? Or do you just level those buildings and let it go? 414-799-1620. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. We're back. A couple of listeners correctly remind me that I said Northridge opened up in the mid to late 70s. It was actually 1972, which would make sense when I think back to when I was in high school. Southridge opened up in 1970, but Northridge closed since I think about 2003. Now the city is issuing a condemnation order. Their plan is to um, try to force the owners who've done nothing with it for quite a while to, to tear down the building. The city apparently also plans to tear down the Boston store building. Also, the original four uh, anchor stores. I had three of them: J.C. Penney, Sears, Boston Store. The fourth one was Gimbel's. How could I forget Gimbel's? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's start with Chris in Sheboygan. Chris, hello. Chris, 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 Chris. Okay, let's try Vincent on the northwest side. Vincent, you're on WTMJ. Hello, Jeff. Hi, Vincent. Uh, yeah, I live right above Northridge. Okay. So it's been uh, eyesore for, for for many years. Yep. So I think, yeah, they need to level it. They need to level it. The only store that's there is, is Menards, and they've also developed a little, a little more area of the uh, uh, Northridge area, but it needs to be torn down, and every building that's around there that's been empty the last <laughs> five to ten, ten years. Yeah. And, and then I, I think uh, light industrial will be nice. How how long have you lived in that area, Vincent? I've lived over here for thirty seven years. Okay, so you've you've seen you were there during the heyday of Northridge and that yeah. whole area and you've kind of watched it, it sort of decline. What what do you think happened? Well, I, I think the fact is is that the area changed. I think the neighborhood kinda of changed. And uh uh I, I don't think it was as as dangerous as people thought. I think you have more more incidences of violence over at Mayfair than you had over at Northridge. Right. I just think the area changed. I think the uh, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the housing changed, the housing uh, uh, patterns right. changed, and so 
uh, uh, and uh, the thing that happened with the, the guy that killed his wife. 1992, who said yeah. it was, he murdered his wife, and he said it was a couple of black guys or whatever yeah. who had done that. Yeah, yes, Jesse that Anderson. Yeah. But the fact is is that uh, malls all over the country are basically going down the tubes in this uh you know, because uh, stores are, are basically closing. So right. Uh, right. Uh, maybe it was Northridge was before before its time. So but you're thinking time, that you're thinking light industrial or something like that. Maybe some factories. Yes, yes, and also if if they're thinking about uh, 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 building a, a small uh, a juvenile facility, I think that would be a, a place to put it. Or put it if. if uh, uh, have, uh, Vincent, I'm glad to hear you say that. And you're a resident of that area, and you're saying, okay, maybe maybe this is a location for that. Oh, certainly. Oh, certainly. You know, the fact is is that uh, uh, other businesses do, uh, do go around those particular kind of facilities. You see it out in, out in the uh, outlying areas mm-hmm. uh, where, where prisons are. So because so people have to come out there, they stop and they eat and other things. And some people, you know, who, who travel far away need maybe stay overnight, maybe some some places where, where people can stay, but the fact is, uh, something else needs to be there. You know, Menards is, is the only only horse or horse in the barn out here right now. Well, right, and it's. I mean, no, thanks, God. I mean, I remember. I mean, again, I remember when this is thriving. This is one of the interesting things that you know. I, I understand they need to build a juvenile detention facility rather than sticking it on the Glendale border, um, right in essentially the shadow of Glen Hills Middle School, where nobody in Glendale wants it. Apparently, Tony Evers doesn't care. Kevin Carr, who's the Secretary of Corrections, he doesn't care. And Tom Barrett really doesn't care. You do wonder, if if given that you've got this huge vacant space out at Northridge, maybe, you know, maybe, and and of course, nothing going on. I understand they're talking about, well, maybe we can tear this down, and maybe we can use it as some, maybe we can find somebody that comes in with light industrial. Well, I I don't know that that's the best use of the thing. It might be the only use of the thing because they know it's never going to work for retail. And as far as, at least right now, trying to find a developer to put up more condos or housing, well, good luck with that because you're already struggling with Northridge Lakes across the street and some of the other areas. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, let's think this through. You've got a huge chunk of land which will perhaps soon be vacant. You've got no real solid good use for that land right now. It's not like you have developers lined up that want it. Huh, maybe maybe that's an area, like Vincent says, maybe that's an area for one of those facilities. Tony on the northwest side. Tony, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Tony. The only thing would be like industrial because my buddy's father ran a food service business, and he told me years ago TGIF, Chi-Chi's, Ground Raw were getting the numbers, and they won't make it. Mm -hmm. And also, when the bus lines used to always go only to Villard on 76, when they extended that all the way to Northridge, they stopped right at the uh, where they put the food court. Right. And when they added that food court, and all the kids were harassing people, even myself was getting, were getting harassed when you'd walk in there, and people just stopped going. Yeah, well, that I mean, I mean, thanks for calling. It, it does show uh, again how how fragile certain things are, and I, I always I try to make that point. Because people have all sorts of different choices when it comes to where they're going to shop and where they're going to go. Now, I I can't I actually agree with our first caller, Vincent, to an extent that I I never felt Northridge was unsafe. I, but but Northridge got that rap that it was unsafe, and it's one of those situations. I know it's a cliche, but it's also true where perception does become reality at certain points in time. And, and what happened 
is Northridge got the rap that it was was unsafe. And so people, particularly suburban women, started making the decision that they weren't going to shop there. And then, okay, so the suburban women aren't shopping there. And I'm not talking about all suburban women, but suburban women aren't shopping there in the numbers that maybe they did in the 70s. And so what happens is the business starts declining. So the businesses end up closing up. And so then there's less stuff for people to want to go to. And, and you get into this death spiral. And that's what's happened there. I don't see retail coming back. Number one, it's the whole, I mean, malls are struggling all over we talk constantly on this program about internet and things like that is it possible that you could find some sort of mixed use type of thing where maybe you you can find some light industrial and maybe you couple that with i don't know a couple strip malls or something like that that type of concept you know i guess that's possible to do bottom line is i mean northridge has been a blight since 2003 essentially and it's do i support the city condemning it absolutely i don't know what the answer is again i think it might be a decent spot to you know include for maybe looking at for one of these juvenile correctional facilities seems to me you've got all sorts of you know vacant publicly owned space if you got to build something maybe it makes more sense to build it there than somewhere else but i think it's way past time to to level the whole thing and now that the building's being condemned and it's dangerous and all those types of things, there's even more motivation to do it. It would be nice to have a plan, though, in place so something else is going to go up there. But the other reality is, if there's a finite amount of business and there's a finite amount of resources and we're already trying to figure out, okay, the city's going to put millions and millions of dollars into trying to reinvent Grand Avenue, God bless them, all right, but you're going to put the money in there and there's all these other development efforts going on and you've got Tom Barrett that wants to spend all this money in trying to expand the trolley downtown. At some point in time, you have to ask, okay, is there really dough to do anything significant with what's going on at Northridge? That, I think, is a very fair question as well, and uh, candidly, I don't think I know the answer to it, but a start is tear down the buildings and then move from there. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner coming up in less than 10 minutes. Now we've gone and done it. We've hacked off Pamela Anderson. Stick around for that. Uh, You know, we're talking about Northridge and subsidies and things like that. I mean, there, there is a limit as to how much money government can throw around. For example, an interesting story in Urban Milwaukee, which is one of the, the websites, they have some interesting stuff about the city, pointing out that, remember, in an effort to keep Boston store, the city agreed to come up with $1.9 million that was going to go to Boston store to keep it as a quarter as, as headquarters and keep the store open and also do construction and stuff on the building to make it more attractive for like offices and things like that. Well, okay, we all know what happened to Boston store. $600,000 in public money was used on this reconstruction type of thing. That's gone. That that's just history flushed down the toilet, boom, it's gone. There's another 1.3 million that's floating around somewhere that the city may be able to claw back. And I, I say may be able to claw back because it's kind of an open legal question. But the 600000 that that's just gone down the rat hole. And, you know, I think before anybody starts talking about significant investment of taxpayer dollars in Northridge, you got to ask what the plan is, because in my opinion, what happened to Boston Store downtown was predictable. And I think unless you've got a really solid plan, throwing money to try to like bring certain industry into Northridge, That might be throwing money down the rat hole as well. Stick around.
Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, Eric Bilstadt, in anticipation of this next topic, I was going down memory lane with Pamela Anderson. Uh. All right. When, when I, <laughs> right, right, I have to acknowledge... I never thought we'd be starting off an hour of the Wagner Show with a discussion of Pamela Anderson, but actually we are. When I say Pamela Anderson to you, what, what do you think of? Baywatch. Right, Baywatch. Now, exactly. She was um, she was on Baywatch for five years, like 1992 to 1997. What was her name? CJ? CJ. Oh, yeah. Oh, like you were searching for it. No, no, no. <laughs> right. Yeah, she, but before, <laughs> you know what she did before Baywatch that people might well, have Well, she heard? was the model, right? Didn't she, wasn't yeah. she Playboy or no? No, that was after that. She was okay. actually, um, she was on Tool Time. Remember she was remember a home she improvement the, the she she was the girls? she was the original tool time girl right wow. uh, and she started there got the baywatch gig and then turned into a movie career that led to such features as let me see barb wire um, she was in Barbed Wire, uh, Blonde and Blonder, Costa Rican Summer, hmm. Hollywood and Wine. It's a classic. Um, it, it is. SPF 18. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I just... I, I, okay. Wow. Check that one on I don't know. Um, but actually... That, that that's not the thing that most caught my attention. I, I was kind of like when you go to this, thing, it reminds you of like the different relationships these Hollywood people have. Anderson married. Remember her, her, her first her first marriage was to a guy named Tommy Lee, Tommy who's Lee, the, yeah. the drummer for Motley Crue. Yes, absolutely. Okay, they got they got married um, after they, they they met. They got married after they knew each other for. 96 hours. See, they just knew. Not, not yeah, what could go love. wrong with that? Not, not 96 days. 96 <laughs> hours. Um, what, what could possibly go wrong with that? You know, so that's, okay, so that's, that's Pamela Anderson. All right, so now why am I talking about the Baywatch babe other than the fact that, you know, that's how Eric Bilstadt remembered her? <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right, no, 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 it's not for that. It's because she has thrown herself into the middle of this whole Julian Assange thing. Now let me let me give you the Reader's Digest version about, you know, what's happened. And it's I'm telling you it it's if you made a Hollywood movie about this, people wouldn't believe it because it's the whole thing is just flat out weird. This goes back to when when you had the American soldier who bred uh, Brad Bradley Edward Manning, who now goes by the name of Chelsea Manning, um, but at the time he was in the military, he was a guy. Now he's a sheep. Okay, that's just that's the the facts of it. So he was the American military analyst who was responsible for what he did. Is he had a security clearance, but he broke into a number of U.S. military computers. And he got all this information, and then he was an intelligence analyst involving Iraq. And what he did, since he had access to some of these classified databases, he leaked classified information to WikiLeaks. And then all this stuff, you know, got got published. He ended up getting caught. And I'm saying he, now it's Chelsea Manning, it's, it's a she. But Manning ended up getting caught. Manning was court-martialed and sentenced to 35 years in prison and was, in fact, in prison between 2010 and 2017 when, as you recall, President Obama decided that 35 years for leaking classified information was too large a sentence and ordered the, the rest of the term commuted. So Manning was 
released. All right. At the same time, this has been happening. So the the government was also investigating others that were involved in in this this leak and, and helping Manning get access to the information. One of those people is this Julian Assange, who is the the founder of, of WikiLeaks, which is of course the the internet outfit that publishes you know that publishes all these these secret documents whenever they can get their their hands on them. Now Assange, follow me here, is an interesting character himself. In 2012, the Swedish government wants him for sexual assault. All right. He, he, in an effort to avoid prosecution in Sweden, he turns himself into the Ecuadorian embassy in, in Britain, and he's given asylum. So Assange has been essentially a, a guest. He's been living in the Ecuador Assembly in Britain, in London, for since 2012. Originally, to, he, he's trying to beat this, this Swedish charge of sexual assault. That's why he does it in the first place. But the U.S. wants him because of his involvement with WikiLeaks and Manning and all the, these types of, of things. Um, so, But he's, he's in the Ecuadorian Assembly, and this has been the, this huge controversy. Can you get him out? Can you get him out? Assange is apparently a, a major league pain in the butt, even for Ecuador. And I, I just kind of, and apparently, you know, they have all sorts of rules. He's been living in the in the you know embassy for like seven years, and he's he's sort of like that house guest, I guess. That you know, just you you want to go after three days, and now it's been kind of seven years, and they've got all these rules, and he keeps violating the rules. So what happened yesterday is Ecuador said enough is enough, and Ecuador called the British police and said, we're tossing him out. So the British police, they've got an extradition request from the United States. Sweden dropped the the sexual assault charges a couple years ago. But Ecuador tosses the guy out, says we're revoking his asylum. If you see pictures of him, he looks like Howard Hughes, if they would give you a name from the past, you know, like a Hermes. He's got like really long hair. I mean, he looks like he's 90 years old. But Ecuador tosses him out. Great Britain takes him on the U.S. request for extradition. He was indicted a couple years ago for essentially complicity with with now Chelsea Manning. And he's been indicted of one count. They haven't charged him with espionage, but what they charged him with was conspiring with Manning to to steal classified information. And apparently what they say he did, I took a quick look at the indictment, was they say he was working with Manning to help get passwords so that Manning could get access to classified information he wouldn't have otherwise gotten. So that's the basis of the charge. It's a conspiracy charge. He has now been arrested in Great Britain, the U.S. wants him extradited. All right, so now there's, there's no longer any asylum. Well, how does this all tie into Pamela Anderson? Well, Pamela Anderson, the Baywatch babe, she is um, she's a close friend of Assange, and, and she has taken to Twitter today, and Pamela is just hacked off. Here's what she sends out. She says she's in shock, in shock after watching Assange being dragged out of the Ecuadorian embassy. He looks very bad. How could you, Ecuador, because he exposed you, she tweets. How could you, United Kingdom? Of course, you are America's 
Well, the word rhymes with which. And you need a diversion from your idiotic Brexit, a word I can't say on the radio. She then goes after the U.S. and the USA, the toxic coward of a president. He needs to rally his base. You are selfish and cruel. You have taken the entire world backwards. You are devils and liars and thieves. And you will rot, R-O-T-T, and you will rot and we will rise. Okay, our number. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We have now, all right, we have now managed to tee Pamela Anderson off. The larger point is, after X number of years, it now appears that we are closer to bringing Julian Assange to the United States to stand trial on, at least right now, it's a one-count charge of conspiring with Manning to, again, get classified information. It's not an espionage charge at this point in time. could be later on. It is a maximum 10-year penalty. Some in the world are absolutely outraged that this guy, who some people argue is a whistleblower, is being treated like this. 414-799-1620. I think the United States should be pursuing extradition. I'm sorry if we've made Pamela Anderson upset, but you know what? Chelsea Manning served several years. I think it was an injustice that Barack Obama let her out early. That notwithstanding, I think it's worth bringing Assange to the United States, and I think it's worth trying him, and if he's convicted... Yeah, I I think he should go to prison. 414-799-1620. Should we continue to pursue this or is enough enough? Does it matter, you know, about these classified leaks? Is is Assange, this giant whistleblower who's only trying to expose the evils of the U.S. government? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I say bring him back to the U.S. and try him and sentence him. What say you? We discuss in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. So glad to have you with us. Okay, a couple texters say, Jeff, I, I, I'm a little bit curious. Why did Ecuador give Assange um, dip, asylum in, in the first place? Um, and I guess then there's a couple reasons. First of all, at the time, at the time, the president of Ecuador was part of the, this group of very, very anti-American leaders. It included the guy in Venezuela and the guy in Bolivia. So this was a very, very anti-U.S. operation. And what happened is, I, I think they saw this, number one, as a chance to embarrass the U.S. government. And, and number two, they saw this as an opportunity to, I don't know, try to portray themselves positively in the eyes of the world. We're going to give this guy asylum because we think these sex charges out of Sweden, we think they're kind of drummed up, and this is really just a pretext to get him into custody and have him you know, sent back to the evil U.S. All right, so I think that was the premise. There's, there's a different president in Ecuador now. Um, in addition, I think what's going on is the U.S. has started to pressure, you know, Ecuador in various fashions to kind of give this guy up. And I, I think the bottom line is he's kind of worn out his welcome because he's sort of a, well, I, I think he would be a difficult house guest. And so at the end of the day, I think Ecuador ended up simply making the decision that keeping Assange was no longer worth the trouble. And so they've now turned him over and they say, OK, we're going to let the we're going to let the judicial process play play out. 
there are some people, including Pamela Anderson, who apparently see Julian Assange as this, this victim of the, this evil evil system in the U.S. and this evil part of the capitalistic world that's trying to make an example. There are people who see him as the ultimate wh- uh, whistleblower, who think, well, you know, who, who cares? W- w- WikiLeaks is performing a service by simply making public, making classified information available. And if it hurts U.S. war efforts or it costs people their lives, well, we don't care. It's not our problem. The way I look at it is this. I, I think the U.S. is certainly within its rights to go after when they went after Chelsea Manning, who was the intelligence analyst who, again, gained access to classified information that he she was not entitled to and then provided it to the public. You can't have individual military analysts deciding, gee, I think this information should be classified or not classified. You can't have them making those decisions. It leads to anarchy. And that's why I think the prosecution of Chelsea Manning was completely and totally appropriate. If this indictment is true, Assange, not just publishing the information through WikiLeaks, but Assange was apparently intimately involved with Manning, trying to help Manning, you know, get passwords to break into the U.S. system. And that ultimately ended up being successful. That makes you a conspirator to obtain classified information that you are not entitled to. And I don't think the U.S. government can or should look the other way. I think they are completely right to pursue extradition. I understand that there are some parts of the the left, particularly the worldwide left, that's going to try to make the U.S. as the villains here Bottom line is the U.S. government is doing exactly what it should have done. And by the way, this is what the Obama administration was going to try to do. They've been trying to get him extradited. This is what the Trump administration is trying to do. Bring this character to justice once and for all. And if it hacks off Pamela Anderson, well, too bad. This is Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. Coming up in 10 minutes, Stevens Point says, never mind. All right. Do we really have to pay cash? And the Supreme Court's about ready to revisit wedding cakes and same-sex marriage. I will tell you all about that. Turmoil in Titletown this week as quarterback number one Aaron Rodgers responds to alleged dysfunction inside the walls of Lambeau Field. Hear Rodgers' exclusive interview with ESPN's with ESPN Wisconsin's Wilde and Tausch anytime. All you have to do is text the word Rodgers. That is R-O-D-G-E-R-S. Always have to remind people of that because every once in a while you say Rogers and all these people text in R O G E R S as in we get a lot of that right as as (laughs) in like it's Mister Rogers' neighborhood. Mm -hmm. No, that that's not going to work. And if you text R O G E R S, nothing's going to happen. R O D G E R S. You text that to the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line four one four seven nine nine one six twenty, and we will send you a link to that. All right interesting development and we're not going to revisit at this point in time the whole question of should president trump be required to turn over his taxes tax forms or not but it, it is interesting because what happened is the chairman of the house ways committee ways and means committee who's a democrat he sent a letter to the treasury department demanding that president trump's tax returns be turned over now interestingly enough They weren't asking just for the tax returns since President Trump has been president, but they were asking for tax returns going back to 2013. Uh, The Trump administration and the lawyer for President Trump says they're they're never going to turn these tax returns over. It's setting up, I think, a 
uh, just a knockdown, drag out battle that could ultimately end up going to the Supreme Court. But the bottom line is, at least initially, the deadline for turning over the tax returns was supposed to be, I think, uh, today. They were supposed to be turned over by today. The Treasury Department yesterday said it's not going to be giving the tax returns. It's not turning them over by today. They asked for more time. They said, here's what we're doing. We're, we're studying this to see what our legal obligations are, and they asked for more time. So for everybody who thought that this was going to be this cut-and-dry process, the tax returns would be uh, turned over, uh, stay tuned, because I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. Whether you think they should be disclosed or not, this is going to be a knockdown, drag-out legal battle. So very glad to have you with us. Looks like at least in southeastern Wisconsin, we're in kind of a little bit of a dry spell right now, 35 degrees outside. More rain coming this evening, and the next the 10-day forecast, quite frankly, doesn't look very good for those of us who are ready for spring and hoping to get outside. All right, UW Stevens Point. I love Stevens Point. Matter of fact, I, as I recall, I think our very own Gene Miller is a graduate of UW Stevens Point. My regular producer, Gru, he's a graduate of Stevens Point. Matter of fact, he's heading up to that area to participate in some college-related stuff as an alumni. It's, it, it's, it's good. I like Stevens Point a lot. The thing is, attendance at UW Stevens Point has been dropping for a while now. The the enrollment is down to like 77 7800 kids, all right? And what they are also finding is that some of the programs that they have historically offered just aren't attracting lots of people. You know, um for example, they they offered majors in French, in German, in history, in geography, in geoscience, and a couple of different art concentrations. And what they had found is people weren't signing up for them. So just like if you've got, let's say you own four convenience stores, and three of them are doing really well, and the fourth convenience store isn't selling that much stuff and you're losing money and business is dropping. Well, what what do people do in the real world? Well, you close that one convenience store. That, that's it. You just don't keep offering, all right, we're going to open this convenience store even though we're losing money. So Stevens Point, looking at these various majors and recognizing that not as many kids are taking them, made the decision that they were going to scrap these programs. Let me give you a quick indicator of, for example, the, the history program. Um, let's see, five years ago, hundred five years ago, 146 students signed up to be history majors. All right? That number last year was 76. So that that's almost dropped in half. And, and it's not a reflection on... The history program there, it's not a reflection on history majors in general. It's just not as many kids are, for whatever reason, are choosing to take history at Stevens Point. So Stevens Point, and the same was true with these other majors that I talked about. So Stevens Point said, all right, here's the deal. We're facing budget deficits. These programs aren't drawing as many people. So what we're going to do is we're going to discontinue them. All right, that created this huge flap. It's been national stories. Is this the end of history majors? Oh, is this a reflection of the evil Scott Walker administration that, you know, doesn't appreciate higher education, et cetera, et cetera? That, that's been the tone of it. Yesterday, 
UW Stevens Point, or a couple days ago actually, announced that these plans they had to drop these various majors, well, they had decided to, to scrap them. What they said is that, well, because we have had additional retirements of faculty and resignations, we now have extra money to deal with this deficit. So because we've had, again, professors who've resigned or retired or whatever, we we don't have to drop the programs. We can continue because we've, we've, we're saving all this money on salaries. Our number is 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, look, I have nothing against saving money on salaries. But it seems to me that this is the absolutely wrong way to go about it. The underlying problem is that students, for whatever reasons, aren't signing up for these majors. That That's the problem. And if students aren't signing up for the majors, it makes no sense to me to take good money and offer and continue to offer those, those majors on things that the kids aren't signing up for. Why bother? If you're able to save money, why don't you take that money and spend it trying to broaden the courses that you offer in things that the kids want? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And that, by the way, is not an indictment of, of history majors. I would make the same argument. If the, if the number of history majors had gone, instead of going from like 140 to 70-something, if instead it had gone from 140 to 210, I would be making the argument, hey, let's take some of these programs that are not drawing anybody, that are out of favor, and let's take that money and let's put it into the history department. So this isn't, in my case, it's not being anti-French or German or history or geography. It's simply saying you don't have to, especially in the UW system, you don't have to argue, I mean, you don't have to offer everything at every different university. And yes, maybe that means that somebody that would like, if, if you're just dead set on majoring in German, all right, it might mean that you, you can't you can't do it at Stevens Point. Well, okay, to which my response would be, life is tough. There's all sorts of different universities that don't offer degrees in certain things. 414-799-1620, this to me is a coward's way out of dealing with an issue. The fundamental problem is kids don't want to sign up for some of these disciplines. Why do we continue to offer them? 414-799-1620. Let's start with David in Mequon. David, you're first. Good afternoon. Uh, good afternoon. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. <laughs> they should have a financial class for starters. But, <laughs> yeah. but uh, what I was going to say, though, in all uh, seriousness, uh, they should take the money. They should do a couple things with it. One, the subjects that are doing well, they could take that access money if they want to incorporate that into the subjects which are popular and they want to invest in that, I wouldn't have an issue with it. Mm-hmm. And the second thing is, um, you know, if they don't have, you know, can't figure it out right now, they certainly can always just put it in reserve and then figure out what to do with the funds later on. They don't, yep. you know, I don't see why they're putting good money after bad in, in the sense that, you know, they're, they're putting it into, uh, you know, some programs that are, pro- that, right. yeah, that are not popular at all. Well, right. And, I mean, going back to your, your tongue-in-cheek point about, like, some business classes, it, it, exactly right. You you reach yeah. a point in the real world where, you know, if you've got, if you've got an, or you run a restaurant, 
Uh, you, you run a restaurant, right. and you've got all these different things on the menu, and you've got like one or two menu items that are un- underperforming. Nobody's, you know, nobody's ordering the meatloaf or whatever. Well, it would be silly of you to say, "Hey, I'm going I'm to buy more meatloaf." No, what you do is yeah. you you sell tacos or whatever you're selling. Yeah, exactly. Uh, no, thank, exactly. Uh, no, th- thanks. So, but the, it's this idea that you're anti-education if you decide to say, "Okay, let's take some of these." Let's take some of these real-world business concepts, and nothing could be further from the truth. So, I mean, here's what happened with Stephen's point. They just completely and totally caved to the the politically correct forces who said, well, you you have to offer stuff. Well, okay, so now you're going to offer this. You continue the programs. No fewer and fewer people end up taking it. At what point do you get to walk away? At what point do you say, oh, we're down to, you know, four kids that signed up for a, a French major? Or whatever, and I'm not. Again, I'm, I'm. God bless them. You know, if you had 400 kids that wanted to go to Stevens Point and study French, I'd say take a whole bunch of money and put it into that. But for whatever reasons, you have kids who are making decisions that they're not coming to this university for that particular discipline. At some point in time, you have to just say, okay, enough is enough. I thought Stevens Point deserved credit for making that tough decision and recognizing the financial reality. Now, well, you know, we've saved this other money because we've had professors that have retired or whatever, so we're going to take we're going to take good money, we're going to throw it after bad, and we're going to continue to offer programs that nobody wants to participate in. That's absolutely crazy. No way about it, no other way to describe it. It's crazy. But it's UW Stevens Point, and it's endemic of the larger problem with the UW system. This is Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. A couple months ago, my wife and I were coming back from Key West, and we we stopped. We were in the, the this layover was in the Atlanta airport, and she wanted to get something to eat or a bottle of water or a soda or something, whatever it was. And, and she went over to the, this kiosk that was across the way from the gate, and the the kiosk it was a it was a little. Well, kind of a little mini store, and it had sandwiches, and it had chips, and it had soda and things like that. They did not take cash. There there was a woman there who was in charge of, like, stocking the kiosk, but they were not equipped to take cash. What you had to do is you had to have a credit card, and you would buy the stuff. And if you wanted the stuff, you had to have the credit card. You had to pay for it on the credit card, but cash was not an option. Now, so, okay, she pulled out the credit card, and, and she did it. Amazon is rolling out these things called Amazon Go. And what these stores are is they're billed as the world's most advanced shopping technology. Here, here's what happens. You download an app from, from Amazon, of course, and then the way they describe it, and we don't have any around here, but they say what what happened is what happens is you you walk into one of these little shopping Amazon Go stores. They've got a couple in San Francisco. They've got a couple in Chicago. You use the app when you enter the store. The app you open it up, so the app then knows you're you're there. You take the products you want, and then you just leave. There's no line. There's no checkout. There, there's nothing. And the way it works is. Like that same technology that when you have the the iPass, you know, and, and you go through the toll booth and it just it registers, you know, what you've taken, you know, that your car has gone through and then you get your credit card billed. What happens here is you, you take your different items, 
and then you leave with them, and they all register through your app. And I don't understand exactly how the technology works, but it knows what you have taken, and it charges your account. Boom. Are there people at the Amazon Go stores? Well, yes, but not not many. They've got apparently they'll have a couple workers that are in the back in the kitchen that are making the food because they've got some like grab and go sandwiches and things like that. And they also have a couple people who are in the store itself who are assigned to, you know, help help stock food and help explain to customers how the whole thing works. Kind of like when you go into a grocery store now and you decide to use the self-checkout lane, a lot of times there'll be a grocery store employee who's there to kind of help you when, if you're like me, you have trouble figuring out how to use the self-checkout lane. No, this is the button you have to push and things like that. So it's not like there's no employees, but there's not many employees. And the whole premise of this Amazon Go store is you've got the app, you've put a credit card on or whatever, and you're going to be charged accordingly. All right, Amazon Go stores, the whole premise is they don't take cash. That That's the idea. It's no lines, no making change. You grab, you go. All right. Well, this has created a huge controversy, and we've talked about variations of this before, but now you have a number of local governments that have decided they want to go after Amazon Go, and what they want to do is they want to require Amazon Go to take cash. Now, the whole premise behind these Amazon Go stores is there's no lines, there's no cash, there's no checkout. That's the thing. There's nobody there to make change. Boom. If you want to go shop at Amazon Go, this is what you have to do. You have to use the app, and this is the process. You have some cities, including now Chicago, that are looking at cracking down, saying, all right, this discriminates against people of primarily low-income shoppers who don't have a smartphone, don't have access to credit lines, etc. They're used to paying cash, and they can't do it in these stores anymore. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. So there's pressure being brought by governments, on local governments on Amazon Go, to change their concept and allow people to pay cash and check out in conventional ways. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I don't know about you, but I don't think the store should have to do this. I mean, look, I think businesses should have the right to decide if they want to take cash or not. The whole premise of these stores is you grab it, you download the app, and then you go. No lines, no checkout, period. That's the premise of the store. And and I look, and I, I understand if you don't have a smartphone, you're not going to be able to download the app. If you don't have a line of credit, you're not going to be have the, have the credit card on file with Amazon. I get it. And so that means you're not going to be able to shop in that store. All right. To which I say, shop in the store next door. 414-799-1620. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. And this is Jeff Wagner. So glad to have you with us. Mike in Waukesha. Mike, good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Thanks for calling. Yeah, um, I don't really have a comment about the Amazon stores in particular, but I was in, uh, I believe it was LaGuardia Airport mm-hmm. last two years ago, checking out colleges. Well, I wasn't checking out colleges right. in the <laughs> airport, but um, we were there, and 
ordering food in the food, food court, you had to order on a on a pad and then pay for it with either a credit card or debit card. Yeah. I don't even have a debit card, you know, so I right. felt really out of my element, and it was just the human touch wasn't there, and I felt mm-hmm. felt like it wasn't right. Well, and, and see, and don't I mean, thanks for calling. Mike. I mean, don't don't get me wrong. I I look. I I understand. You can make an argument about is this the wave of the future? Is this the way to go? Do you like it? Do you not like it? It you go to the Pfizer forum, and, and there's at least some lines. There, I don't know if there's some stands that won't take cash at all, but I know they've got signs up for some. Some lines are credit card only because they don't. They're, they're going to move faster. They, they don't want to have to fool around with making change and things like that. Now, you can like it or you cannot like it. You can argue it's a good business model or a bad mis- business model. But I guess my point is I think businesses should have the right to do that if if they want. And government shouldn't. If this is Amazon Go's new marketing concept, and you know we don't want to have people, we don't want to have lines, we don't want to have the people making change, I think they have a right to do it. Jason in Mequon. Jason, you're on WTMJ. Hey, uh, afternoon, Jeff. Hi, Jason. Um, I'm so old school. I still got my flip phone, and I love it, <laughs> and everybody gives me heck about it, too, all the time. Um, I don't have a credit card, um, so right. if I need to go somewhere, I'll just borrow my wife's or you know somebody right. else's. But I don't feel disenfranchised because I have the option of going somewhere else that still takes cash as kin, you know? Well, well exactly. If if a lot of people feel the way you do, Jason, what's going to happen is this business model is going to fail, you know, because nobody's going to nobody's going to want to do it. So they're going to have to either adapt or, you know, um, or they end up closing. But I, I guess I just think it's the business's right to do it. Exactly. Yeah. Right. I don't uh, have a problem with it. Yeah, right, right. Thanks for the call. And, and does that mean that some people can't shop at a particular store? Well, yeah, it, it means that, again, if regardless of what your economic situation is, if you're like Jason and you don't carry credit cards because that's just how, how you are and you don't have a smartphone and you don't have the Amazon app downloaded, okay, it, you, you, you can't go to the Amazon Go place. You've got to go to the place next door. This, to me, is this incredible overreach by the government. You can't shop at the particular – I think they have the right to say this is what we're going to do, just like I think businesses have the right to say, hey, we're not taking you know $20 bills or under. Don't give us a 50 Don't give us a 100 They have the right to do that, don't they? This is Jeff Wagner. Stick around. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So glad to have you with us. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 36 degrees outside. All right. I want to have a serious conversation with you. Um, there, Yesterday on the program, we, we talked about how there was this plan in Illinois, as a matter of fact, is going to be one of, I think, only seven states to raise the, the legal age for buying cigarettes from 18 to 21 they estimate that by doing that, and again, you can argue about the data, but by by making it illegal for people under the age of 21 to buy cigarettes, they estimate that the cigarette smoking among that group, that group between 18 and 21, goes down by about 30%. And they attribute it to the fact that it's not legal. Now, it's not legal to buy the cigarettes. Now, that means that people might not get cigarettes from other ways, but they, they say it's about 30%. So the premise is, if you make something illegal, it doesn't prevent usage, but it decreases usage. 
I have felt the same way about marijuana. That is that I think that I understand there's lots of people who smoke pot. I, I get that. But at the same time, I believe the fact that marijuana continues to be illegal discourages some people. I think it discourages some young people from starting to smoke pot, and it discourages older people maybe from start, from from either continuing to smoke pot or starting to smoke pot because it, it's illegal. And, and you, you don't want to get busted, and you recognize that, okay, well, maybe I'd be inclined to try this or, or whatever, but if I did it and my employer found out, maybe I could get fired. Um, it just you, I think the fact that it is illegal discourages some people. And again, I, I didn't fall off the, tur- off the turnip truck. I understand there's lots of people who don't care about the fact that it's illegal and they smoke it anyways and they're willing to take their chances. All right. Um, I'm looking at a story in the Wall Street Journal. Drug tests show marijuana use is at a 14 high among workers. That is, they say that more than 2% of U.S. employees have tested positive for drugs as legalization has expanded. So you you do have, I, I think, more and more people that are showing up in the workplace and they are testing positive for drugs. And um, I think that's presumably because it's legal in more places and, and more and more people are, are smoking. New Jersey efforts to legalize marijuana kind of fell apart. And matter of fact, they they thought they were going to move to legalizing it. It fell apart because a number of legislators became concerned that if you legalized pot, it would be easier for teenagers to get it. And secondly, a number of legislators were concerned about driving under the influence. The idea that, all right, we've already got an epidemic with drunk driving. The last darn thing that we need to do in this world is to make it easier for people to, you know, use another type of substance that might be kind of mind altering and get behind the wheel of a car. All right, so here's what I want to have a serious discussion with you about. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Tell me why we should or should not legalize marijuana. I, I, I don't I don't want to know, do you think it should be done or do you don't think it should be done? I want to talk about the why behind it. For people who think, well, you know, we, we need to legalize this now. Um, look, Colorado's done it. These other states have, have done it. All right, tell me why you think it would be good to do that in Wisconsin. Conversely, if you're not sold on this idea, tell me why you think it would be a bad thing. Because, and, and, and see, the best argument that I could make is that, uh, as to against it, I, maybe there's many arguments, but but against it, it's like all right. If we accept that this is, even if we accept that it's no worse than 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 liquor, right? We have a problem sometimes. There's people in our society that have a problem with alcohol. Do we want to encourage more people walking around smoking dope and getting behind the wheel of the cars when they're high? That would be my argument against doing this. Why or why not? 414-799-1620. Justin, who is working a double shift, is lining up the calls. We're back to discuss in just a moment. But I don't want to just talk about the should we or shouldn't we. We have that conversation all the time. I want to talk about the why. Why do you think we should or why do you think we should keep the laws where it is? they are? 414-799-1620. Back with your calls in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner. 
so glad to have you with us. As you can probably tell, I am not sold on legalizing marijuana for recreational use. But but this is your chance. Give me your best argument why or why not you think it would be a good idea. Let me share a couple of thoughts. Kevin in Belgium says, Jeff, if you think impaired driving is a problem now, wait until people mix alcohol with marijuana. I've seen it many times, and people become very sloppy. There's another text. A lot of people stress additional tax base that we can make off of marijuana. I think it's embarrassing that a state should prey on people's drug use to get additional money. Um, let's see. Mike in Waukesha. Um, let's see. Uh, the revenue. Here's another one. The revenue the state would make from that would be unimaginable. So that's the idea. Hey, we, we can you can tax it. You can generate all this extra revenue. Well, all right, that, that's an argument. Is it worth the societal costs? 414-799-1620. Let's start with Tom in Wales. Tom, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, hello, Jeff. Good afternoon. How are you doing today? I'm well, thank you. Okay, give me the, your best reason for why or why not. Why not? Number one, there's not enough studies of chronic users and the issues they have with digestive issues, um, gastrointestinal distress, stomach issues. There's a lot of this stuff cropping up in any of the states that have already approved it for recreational use, and no one's looked at that impact on the economy or the individual. Well, it's also highly carcinogenic. I mean, now you don't you don't smoke. Most people wouldn't smoke marijuana as much as frequently as you smoke cigarettes, but very very carcinogenic, at least for the people that smoke it. No question about that. Oh yeah, when you look at it, besides the carcinogenic part of it, most people who end up say they're just doing it recreationally end up doing it more and more because they look for that relief of the stress or just that high they want from marijuana and it becomes more of a a habit that becomes an addiction just like people who smoke cigarettes or drink alcohol okay so your concern is health all right thanks a lot 414-799-1620 let's see other states have done this out west and now they have a homeless epidemic uh yes and no i mean there there are some areas particularly some like where you have the states that don't have marijuana legalized you have had an influx particularly just to somewhere around the um around the uh the borders all right jeff i thought i'd never say this legalize marijuana you get the other drugs and dealers off the street limit it with a driver's license at a dispensary hmm. <laughs> 414-799-1620 another text a friend of mine lives in colorado he says once the pot once the pot became legal the homeless population absolutely exploded so a couple people making that point 414-799-1620 why or why not marty in yorkville hi marty you're on wtmj hi there what um, do you think i think i think it should be decriminalized at least because for the most part they talk about issues and so on when someone smokes marijuana they generally become more mellow so the, you don't have the issue that you have with alcohol where people become aggressive it's just the opposite uh, in addition to that you know from i guess from a medical standpoint they said if you were to try to develop a drug that would cure a lot of symptoms for people with chronic pain all these kind of mm-hmm. things they said you couldn't develop a better drug than marijuana. Mm-hmm. They said one doesn't exist, and so many of the people that are so far, so much against it. Let me ask you this: Have you ever smoked it? Um, beyond the statute of limitations, I was a child of the seventies, and, and yes, yes, there there were times um, actually when I was in high school that I smoked marijuana, okay. not regularly, but a long, long time ago. But yes, I did. Oh, well, and the reason I ask is because so many people that 
offer an opinion on it. They've never tried it. No, and you know, it, it a long, long time ago. No, thanks. For, I, actually, I. It really did nothing for me. I just, I, I didn't like it. I, I just, I didn't like it aesthetically because, you know, you're, you, you know, it, it, it would burn your throat. And I didn't like it aesthetically because I just, I, marijuana did absolutely nothing for me. And that was unlimited use when I was in high school, way beyond the, the statute of, of limitations on this. 414-799-1620. But I understand people would call up and they say, well, Jeff, you know, you, you like, you like a good bourbon and you like, a, you know, you like to drink that, that like that kind of high end, you know, high octane sort of bourbon, and and it, it burns your throat, doesn't it? I mean, how can you, you know, how can you have an issue with the, um, uh, again with with marijuana when you like to drink that bourbon? I, I guess. I, and by the way, when I have this discussion, I am I am intentionally separating recreational use from medicinal marijuana. I have a different position on that, which is again given given. If you have somebody, for example, who is a terminal cancer patient, given the fact that, you know, you can prescribe, you know, all these like really high powered opiates for them, I guess in those types of situations, if, gee, you know, smoking some marijuana would help you get your appetite back or something, who am I to say no to that? But I I view medical marijuana as different than recreational. 414-799-1620. Joe in Milwaukee. Joe, good afternoon. Hey, uh... Uh, first time caller. I just want to say that, uh, you know, people are going to smoke pot regardless whether or not it's legal or not. So you might as well make it legal. And okay, let me ask it. you this, though. Okay, I'm, let me okay. ask you this. Because I, clearly people do smoke pot, and in, in many places it's illegal. If you legalize it, do you think more people will smoke it? Um, I think, yes, I do. Yeah. I mean, an an honest answer. Yeah, yeah I agree. More people, more people would try it. I don't sure. know. It would be like, and if they enjoyed it, you know, they right. might. It might be my, like me. You you try it. You don't yeah. like it. You have no desire sure. to like. I I I go to states where pot is legal, and I, you know, I I just have no. It doesn't occur to me to do it. I don't. I it, it has no interest in me. Okay. All right. Um, so, so let me ask uh, you. Okay, let's. I, okay. I and I agree with you, and I appreciate the honesty of the answer. I agree with you too. I think if it was legalized, more people would do it. Is, well, is that I good also for think society? So, I, but I also think the same amount of people would do it, whether or not it was legal or not. You know what I mean? No. Like, it would be it would be easier for a person to obtain it because it mm-hmm. is legal, and it might take some of that. You know. The scare, the scare tactics, in like uh, you know, that okay. have been used, put in place the last forty years are just crazy. You know, like my mom, she'll never turn around and be like, "Oh, it's okay to smoke." She'll right. never say it, and it's, that's because right. You know, yeah, there's some people that won't smoke it anyways. Area. Okay, let me. Yeah. All right, all right. So let's go back to the premise. Let, let us assume that more people will in fact smoke it if if it's legalized. Tell me why that's good for society to have more people doing something which is is clearly, you know, a, a chemically altering sort of thing. I think it would be better for society because then I honestly think less people would drink. And alcohol is a straight up poison. Whereas, you know, weed, it's got medicinal purposes to it. It helps me out with my stomach, mm-hmm. like straight up. My stomach problems practically disappeared it's a man manageable thing now okay so you and, think you think that a lot of people that drink would would switch over and start smoking dope instead i'm 
I wouldn't say a lot of people, okay. but maybe some. I know some people drink to stupid levels where, like, you can you can only get so high off of weed, but you can drink a bottle of whiskey and completely forget what you did right. for uh, an entire night. You can black out. You can't. You don't black out with weed. You don't lose time smoking weed. You don't. You know. Okay. All right. Part, I, so. I, I guess. I, I, okay. I, I. I don't know. Um. I, I think there's some people. And maybe we'll we'll get into that as we go on. I mean, I you say you don't lose time smoking weed. I I think that there. And again, I'm, I'm I understand there's people who abuse alcohol, and that's a that's a horrible that's a horrible thing. It's you know, and and when people who you know develop alcohol problems, that's devastating for them. It's a danger to the community if they get behind the wheel. It's it's just a devastating on family so don't get me wrong i'm not sitting here talking about being a poster child for alcohol abuse far from it i guess the the one thing i do say is all right if you if you legalize marijuana and you accept my premise that that then means more people are going to do it are we better as a society if we have now encouraged other people who might not have otherwise smoked pot so now are we raising generations of potheads i mean is that is that good for society in general 414-799-1620 back with more of your calls in just a moment so glad to have you with us yeah my the, the guys the 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 gang I ran with in high school, we just we weren't pot smokers, and the gang I ran with in college, they just weren't pot smokers at all. So I have limited exposure to it, but I'm not going to pretend I had no exposure. I was a child of the 70s. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Eric in Racine. Hi, Eric. Hey, how you doing, Justin? Real well, thank you. Okay, um, why should we or should we not legalize it? Should not legalize on the basis of recreational. I mean, because... Back in February, it's just like I was telling your screener, my my car was redecorated by a drunk driver that was two times the limit mm-hmm. um, right out of the bar, and I sustained injuries from that. And so, you know, I already have to worry about drunk drivers, but if somebody is, um, and marijuana is just like in the same classification as heroin, it's a mind-altering, mind-numbing mm-hmm. drug. So you're concerned that this is, if if my premise is right, that more people, if you legalize it, more people will smoke it, it's going to have more chemically altered people on the roads, which is the last damn thing we need nowadays? Exactly. Yeah. Driving is dangerous enough. Right. No, okay. I mean, you're, you're certainly taking your life in your own hands if you go out driving every day, uh, like I do. Yeah, but. Yeah. No, no kidding. No, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. I'm glad. Glad we're having this conversation. If you you know got hit by the the multiple drunk driver, the, the, you know those are the hesitations I have. I, the, the the biggest argument on the other side that I get, and I understand it, is that first of all, it's no worse than alcohol. Now I'm not sure that that justifies it, but the argument is it, it's no worse than alcohol. And yes, there's going to be some people that that causes problems for, but there's some people that alcohol causes problems for, and. And you can argue that, all right, somebody who's really high on pot, are they any more dangerous than the person who's drunk and gets behind the wheel of the car? And there is the revenue argument. I just, I guess here's the thing. Before we jump down this route in, in Wisconsin, and I, I get that sometimes we're, we're not early adopters. I understand that 48 other states had some version of concealed carry before we did. I, and I appreciate that this is the way that states are going. More and more states are, are 
going for legalization, and they're seeing this as a revenue opportunity. I, I guess my only thing would be, I, I'd put this, I'd put at least the the slow down, the the yellow light sign, maybe not the red light, but the yellow light sign out, because I still, I am still curious what the long-term impact of legalization is going to be in certain states. Now, people are texting me saying, well, anecdotally, we've heard that the number of traffic accidents is up dramatically in, in Colorado. The number of homeless people is up dramatically, you know, since they legalized it. Maybe that's the case, maybe it's not. But I, I think those are all the things that you have to look at. Yes, it generates revenue, but there's clearly going to be a social cost. And I think I think regardless of how you feel about this, you can't deny that there's going to be a social cost. Maybe it's it, it's like like who cares? Maybe it's like why why should we worry about this? It's worth it. And I get the idea that you know individuals have rights of to to choose things and stuff like that. I guess I just think I remain unconvinced that this is the way for us to go in Wisconsin right now. It's not to say that maybe five or ten years from now I might have a different position. I just want to see what's going on in some of these other states that's legalized it and, and see big picture, is it a net plus or is it a net minus? And I'm not sure we know that as of yet. This is Jeff Wagner, so glad to have you with us. You know, for those who wait, sometimes all answers become clear. Uh, Michael Bonds was... Uh, he, well, he was on. He was the president of the, the school board, the Milwaukee School Board, from 2009 through 2016. He was on the school board, not as the president, but he was on the school board uh, again for another term. And he, like this last summer, I believe it was like July of 2018, he abruptly resigned. He had a year left on his term, sends people a note, a letter of recommendation saying, stepping down from the MPS Board of Directors, effective immediately, thanks to the voters, um, time to face new challenges. But it, it came really, really suddenly, and it, it caught a number of people by, by surprise. I mean, a lot of times it, it's not unusual for an elected official to say they're not running for re-election and give notice. Bob Donovan, Milwaukee Common Council, long-serving alderman. Bob announced that he's not going to be running for re-election um, when he's up next in April of 2020. So, I mean, it gives people time, candidates time to decide if they're going to run or not. And a lot of times what happens is when there is a sudden resignation, normally there, there's a reason that attaches to it. It's like, okay, well, I have a job opportunity outside of Milwaukee. I'm, I'm moving for that. Or my spouse has a job opportunity. I mean, normally there's, there, there's a reason that ends up being given. Sometimes you can read between the lines and it's a health issue. Whatever. There's all sorts of reasons. But the, the, resignation of of Michael Bonds caught a lot of people by surprise when it happened because, again, it just kind of came out of the clear blue. Well, I don't know, but maybe today's developments kind of shed some light on what happened last July. Here's the headline, breaking news, in the uh, as reported by JS Online. Michael Bonds, former MPS board president, indicted in charter school scheme. Now, let me give you some free legal advice from a recovering federal prosecutor. It is never, ever, ever a good thing to see your name 
in a sentence that has the word indicted in it. That's just if if I could give you any sort of advice moving forward, you just don't want to see the word indicted together in the same sentence with your name. It's, it's, it's almost never going to work out well. But again, as being reported by JS Online, he has been indicted in federal court. This would be Michael Bonds in Philadelphia in a bribery case involving a company that operated several charter schools, including three in Milwaukee. Bonds is charged, this is the JS Online story, with bribery and conspiracy for allegedly accepting <clears throat> kickbacks from executives of the Universal Companies in return for votes approving its contracts between 2012 and 2016. And that would be during the time that he was the president of the Milwaukee School Board. So he's charged with bribery and conspiracy. They allege he was a part of a kickback scheme where he would approve contracts during this period of time. In one case, the complaint says Bonds helped the company to defer about a million dollars in lease payments to MPS. Two executives of the Philadelphia-based company were implicated in the scheme, um, but not charged. Universal operated the troubled Universal Academy for the college bound on several campuses from 2013 until it abruptly left abruptly left Milwaukee in the middle of the school year. So I, I don't know. I, I don't know if today's developments had any relationship to Bonds' sudden recommend, um, resignation last July. I will tell you from as somebody who, again, in another life handled and or supervised lots of federal investigations it's not uncommon for a target of a federal investigation or somebody who might be you know might be caught up in something like this to to know about it well in advance to to at least know that the feds are stiffing around on something like that especially in kind of these white collar cases you know drug dealers you don't want the drug dealers to know that they're under investigation because they might flee or things like that but it's not uncommon for again in these white collar fraud type of cases or a kickback or a tax evasion scheme or something it's not uncommon for the person to know that they're the subject of investigation now whether this indictment and the investigation that preceded it had anything to do with the resignation i I don't know but it might shed some light on the sudden resignation last july in any event um this kind of a big story the former head long-serving head of the milwaukee school board indicted out of Philadelphia in connection with an alleged kickback scheme involving charter schools in Milwaukee. Stay tuned. More developments, I'm sure, to come. This is Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. So Jordan, who is yeoman duty, he produced the Scafidi. No, he produced the Scafidi show. Stuck around since Gru is off partying somewhere or something. You know, you right. You've been you've been doing both shows and stuff. I've been taken to task by one of our listeners who pointed out that you know a while ago. I think I referred to you as Justin, and if I did, and I think I might have, I apologize. But actually, one of the listeners, you've got listeners that are looking out for you. Jeff, I think you just called Jordan Justin. Just so you know, this happens every day, and the listeners suggest, Jordan, we think you should change your name to Justin to avoid that. So, well, exactly. So does Scafidi call you Justin all the time? He calls okay. It called you Jaden, calls you Justin. Okay, see... There's there's less excuse for, for him to do it than me to do it, because we, we only work together every once in a while. But just so you know, you've got the listeners who are, in fact, 
looking out for you, and I appreciate you doing double duty. Um, answering phones for talk radio shows for six and a half hours is always a challenge. Always a challenge. So thank you very much. All right. Um, only, only have a few minutes before we have to turn the program over to Wisconsin's Afternoon News. But yesterday afternoon, the, the Marquette University Law School poll came out. And let me get into this very quickly. I guess what I would like to know from you, if you are inclined to vote in the Republican primary next year in Wisconsin, would you like to see a primary challenger to President Trump? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Would you like to see somebody challenge President Trump in the in the Republican primary or should should it essentially be a coronation? Would you like the opportunity to vote for someone else? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Now, feel free to disagree with me on this, but I am I'm hoping that there is a solid primary challenger to give Republicans a choice. I mean, here's here is the bottom line of, of all this. I, I think in many respects, whether or not President Trump is going to be reelected, it's going to be in large measure depend on on, I guess, what the economy's like, you know, a year and a half from now. And also what um, who the Democrats put up to run against him. As I've said before, if it's a mainstream center left Democrat, I think President Trump might be in trouble. If, on the other hand, it's some whacked out far left socialist democrat who's talking about uh, essentially completely re you know turning the, the american system on its on its head i i think that bodes well for for trump but if you look at the marquette university law school poll numbers one of the things that comes very clear is the fact that the path for president trump to get reelected is a tough one i mean he he's underwater if you believe the poll numbers you know he's underwater in his approval rating pretty much everybody has an opinion on him and, and once somebody has an opinion on him it, it on them it's it's tough to get that person to change not saying it can't be done and not saying that he can't win but it's a narrow path to victory he's got to win pennsylvania again he's got to win michigan again he's got to win wisconsin again and in all of the at least pre-election polls he, he's trailing. Would you like to see a primary challenger? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's start with Lori in Oshkosh. Hi, Lori. Hi there, Jeff. I think it should be President Trump going through as our nominee. He made promises, and he's fulfilling those promises mm-hmm. for those of us who voted for him. What, in your mind, is the downside to having even... What do you think is the downside to having somebody challenge him in the Republican primary? Because, I mean, you're going to vote for him anyways. Is is it a is it a bad thing to have somebody say, hey, let me give you another choice, or at least let me give some voters another choice? Well, when you do that, you're just splitting the party, right? We're bringing, we're giving the major news networks more things to talk about that are damaging against the president. Well, of course, in and 20... the more that you do that, the more airtime that they're going to take advantage of. Well, in 20, I mean, I guess in 2016, you had, gosh, how many? 15, 16, I lost count. You know, Republicans that were competing, President Trump ended up winning. And and I think you can make a strong argument that, you know, by beating everybody else in the primary, that put him in a better position to actually unite the party. And at the end of the day, you know, Republicans did come home. Could that happen again if he got a challenge? 
a good question. I I, I wish I had a crystal ball okay. to tell you that. But <laughs> okay, fair enough. Thanks. Fair, fair enough. That that right. That was unfair. If I that I'd, I'd be asking you for lottery ticket numbers or something like that. All right, four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Mike text Jeff. I voted for Trump because I really didn't want Hillary Clinton as president. I would very much welcome a really solid, dynamic Republican candidate to challenge the president. See, I I think. There, there is a point to that, and I, I, I argue this, and I understand some people don't want to hear it or don't agree with me, and, and maybe I'm all wet on this. But I, I do think in many respects, President Trump, Donald Trump, was kind of the unknown in 2016. Hillary Clinton, everybody knew Hillary Clinton, and everybody had an opinion on Hillary Clinton. And you really couldn't change that. I, I mean, the people that loved Hillary Clinton loved Hillary Clinton. The people that hated Hillary Clinton hated Hillary Clinton, and, and they weren't going going to change. She was the known candidate. And I think there's a lot of people that ended up voting for Donald Trump that it wasn't so much a vote for Donald Trump. It was a vote against Hillary Clinton. The scenario has been switched here in moving forward. Everybody has an opinion, good or bad, on now President Trump. And so, again, the 2020 election, in many respects, I think it's going to be a referendum on Donald Trump, unless, of course, like I say, the Democrats nominate somebody who's way, way, way far to the left, in which case it becomes a referendum on whether you want to upend the capitalistic system. 414-799-1620, Jim in Germantown. Hi, Jim. You're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I think we need someone else in there. I think he has to have a challenger. Mm-hmm. Do you think if, if even if even if he gets a challenger, if he wins... Do you think going through a primary makes him weaker or hurts him or hurts him in any way? You know, I don't think it would make him weaker. If, if, if he's going to win, I think he's going to win, but I would hope that he doesn't. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I let me let me just start with the first part. Of it. I agree with you, Jim, but I, I don't think it makes him weaker. I, I, I just don't. I think that, you know, I, I think a, a primary, I mean, the reality is the people that are going to vote against him are going to vote against him. And I don't know in my mind that having a solid Republican challenge him, whether it's you know, Larry Hogan, the governor of Maryland, or or Bill Weld, former governor of Massachusetts, or you know who, John Kasich. I, I don't think that that makes him weaker. As a matter of fact, I think maybe it calls more attention to the Republican side of the race. Um, while you know the Democrats are going to get all sorts of attention, given that they've got 17 or 18 people, at least you get a little attention on the Republican side. Yeah, I would agree with that totally. Yeah, no, thanks for calling. I mean, I will say that, and maybe this is just from my political junkie perspective. And all right, Wisconsin as the the you know one of the major battlegrounds in 2020, and that's a given because, like I say, if you look at the path for reelection for President Trump, it clearly runs through the Badger State. I mean, we're we're going to be a big player because when you try to add up the number of votes you need to get the nomination, you, I don't see any way it works unless President Trump can win Wisconsin again. But I, I think that means he's here. You know, you know, you're going to have a ton of Democrats that are going to be here repeatedly, not making the same mistake that Hillary Clinton made. I just I think it would see. I just think a spirited debate. Um, about the future of the Republican Party, just like the Democrats are going to be having a spirited debate about the future of the Democrat Party. And, you know, and that's that debate's going to turn some people off because, again, if they go far left, there's going to be some center left Bill Clinton type of Democrats who are going to be, you know, scared as heck if the, you know, uh, or Ortez Cortez, you know, wing of the party starts starts taking over. That's 
there's going to be that dynamic. It's a battle for the soul on the left. And I guess I'm not sure it's the worst thing to have kind of a battle on the right. All right, we're going to revisit this at some point in time in the future. But it's one of the things that's, that's kicking around out there. The reality is we're sitting here in April. If there is going to be a primary challenge, in my opinion, it's got to come Somebody's got to get out there in the next couple months and, you know, start raising some money and and at least start getting the ground troops lined up. I'm not sure anybody's going to do it at the end of the day, but I don't know that I think it would be the worst thing if it happened. All right. It's 254. When we come back, we're going to find out what John McCure has on his mind on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Please stick around. It's 257. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right. I get to... uh, Beat the bad weather home. Yeah. John McCure is going to be taking me home. Though. Oh, look at that. Man, out there uh, near the Madison, it's yeah. pretty bad.